the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to the Sleeper on the Bus. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by a pinch hitter. You know, is traveling once again, so we have Rotographs contributor Brett Talley with us today, and we'll be discussing suspensions, trades, and prospect call-ups. And today's most interesting player alive today uh, actually surprised me. I figured it would be somebody involved in a trade or a suspension or a call-up, but that is not the case. You're all searching for Hyunjin Ryu. I don't know why, but he is. So, tell me this, Brett. Ryu was actually dropped in one of my mixed leagues. The guy has a 325 ERA. Any explanation as to why he would be dropped? And is he a guy who you would make for an obvious pickup? Do you like him for the rest of the season? I guess let me start by saying that I don't know if you remember this, but the last time I was on the podcast, we the talked most, about them too. Yeah, he was the most interesting player alive on that day. Uh, the the Fangraphs users know that you were going to be on, and they want to make sure that every time you're on the show, we have to talk about you. <laughs> well, I, I guess it's sort of uh, it might be helpful to talk about you know where he was then and where he is now. That was I don't know maybe a month and a half ago, two months. Um, and at the time, he had a 2.72 ERA and a 1.11 WHIP, so the ERA is up about a, a half, half a half a point, and the uh, the WHIP is up pretty substantially, up to 1.29. Um, at the time, you noted that his expected K percentage and expected walk percentage were both uh, both indicated that he might see some regression in both of those categories, and that's happened. Um, you know, I had him in my late 20s at that point. Now I have him in the mid 40s. So we've obviously seen that regression. And, you know, I think he still may have a little more regression to go in the ERA. But at this point, I think his strikeout and walk skills are what they are. And and that's average. And his strikeout skills could go down even a little more based on a swinging strike. So um, I wouldn't say an obvious pickup, but you know, in the right matchup with that ballpark, you know, he's, he could certainly be useful, you know, as a spot starter, at least, you know, even if I don't necessarily like a guy for the rest of the season, if he still has good season stats, my first inclination is always to try to trade the guy. I <laughs> I would never outright drop a guy with a 325 ERA as much as I think he might have been lucky and I don't like him for the second half, at least try to trade him. There's got to be somebody in the league who thinks that a guy with a 325 ERA is going to be pretty good for the rest of the year. So that surprised me. But I'm looking at his monthly trends right now, and I hadn't actually checked up on them, and and they're awful. I mean, if you look at his strikeout percentage, monthly splits from April, 30%, 15.4%. 13.9%, 12%. It's gone down every single month. His walk rate has also gone up nearly every month, almost in a straight line. His ex-fit by month, 277, 414, 414, 487. He hasn't been good since April. And and that April was so good that it's really masked how poor he's pitched since then. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, his ERAs in May and June were sub-3. So 
he just had really, really good luck, and it masked the the major skills decline. Yeah, we uh, you played a little um, game. You know, you asked if I'd rather have Lin or Ryu, and Mike Miner or Ryu. And I think back then I said I'd rather have Ryu than Lin. You took Lin, and you said you'd rather have Ryu than Miner. I'm guessing we'd both change our opinions on those now. <laughs> yeah, you know what. I definitely would rather have minor at this point, even though I uh, took a while to come around to minor, which is funny for me because I thought of minor as a sleeper last year. And it's amazing to me how I always can make complete turnarounds on pitchers. But anyhow, <laughs> so yeah, I would take minor over Ryu for the rest of the year. Lin's an interesting one because Lin has not pitched well recently in terms of ERA, even though his skills are, are fine. He just has had worse luck. And so there's been speculation that maybe he gets moved to the bullpen when Chris Carpenter, if and when he returns. So between those two, I don't know. But Ryu, given his skills decline, maybe I would rather have a bullpen arm than Ryu at this point <laughs> in a shallow league. Yeah. So, yeah, Ryu is not looking good for the rest of the season. And uh, given the fact that we don't know how many innings he can throw um, – I don't know. I, I would probably look to sell high if there's anybody that still believes and, and isn't looking at his monthly trends and is just looking at his seasonal ERA. Agreed. All right, let's move along to obviously the big news of the last couple of days, and that's, of course, Ryan Braun suspended for the rest of the season. So the first question is, is there any value to be had from his likely replacements in the outfield, Logan Schaefer, Caleb Gindel, Sean Halton? I mean... <laughs> These are guys who I don't think anybody knew whatsoever before the season started, <clears throat> especially Gindel and Sean Halton. I have no idea who these guys are. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if I had to had to pick one, I might go with uh, Gindel. But, I mean, we're not talking about any sort of shallow mixed league here. I mean, at best, a 16-team mixed and really just an NL-only play. But Gindel has a little bit of power um, and decent plate d- discipline. So, you know, sort of like him, Schaefer has a power speed, but you know he doesn't really take a walk. He's not going to hit for any average at all. So, and and Halton, I'm not really that interested in. I actually had him in a 12-team NL keeper I'm in, but I dropped him for Colton Wong, um, even though I'm sort of in contention. But I'd rather have Wong as a potential keeper than Halton at this point. So. Well, what I would assume, both Schaefer and Gindel are lefties and Halton's a righty. So I would guess that Halton is going to face left-handers, and, and that's mm-hmm. about it. So it's probably going to be, t- be between Gindel and Schaefer, and I would guess that whoever's hot at the moment is just going to start garnering more at-bats. Right. And, uh, I mean, both Schaefer and Gindel have uh, somewhat of a power-speed combination. I think Gindel has a bit more power. Schaefer a bit more speed, and so it's it's really hard to say who's going to get the bulk of the playing time. Obviously, none of these guys are really part of the future of the Brewers. I mean, it, we're not looking at like a, a, a young future star here in any of these guys, obviously. So I agree. I mean, obviously, in a, a deep league or an NL only, you got to take a shot at one of these guys. I would opt for either Gindel or Logan Schaefer over Halton. And just pray that whoever you pick ends up getting the bulk of the playing time. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, right, it, it's basically been Schaefer for the most part when 
injuries have struck. Uh, Schaefer right now has nearly 200 at-bats, so he has been playing. He hasn't been doing anything with that playing time. He has a 280 Woba, which is pathetic. <laughs> so it's possible that they give Gindle some more time and, and see if they have anything there. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like any of these guys are going to be really a savior for a, a deep league team. But the bigger question, besides who might be worth a pickup to replace Braun, is what this means for the other guys listed among those 20. A-Rod, Nelson Cruz, Johnny Peralta, and Bartolo Colon. Those last three guys have been playing and performing and have been quite valuable for fantasy owners. So now that we saw what happened to Braun, who didn't contest it, he, he decided he was not going to uh, appeal you have to worry if you're a Cruz and Peralta and a Cologne owner, you have to worry that maybe they're going to go down the same path. And and within the next week, we're going to hear oh, Nelson Cruz suspended for 50 games and he's going to be out for the majority of the season. So what do you do if you own these guys? Well, I think it's helpful to look at why Braun made the decision not to appeal. Um, I think he did that and actually wrote this up for uh, another side I write for yesterday. But, um, you know, he, he went ahead and took the suspension because, A, he's got a thumb injury that's been hampering him all year, which, you know, I, I think he could probably stand arrested anyway. But also because the Brewers are out of it. So he might as well sit out now, get healthy, and come back next year when the Brewers, you know, don't have a not you know a zero percent chance of making the playoffs like they do right now, so you know Nelson Cruz, Cologne, uh, Peralta, even some of the other guys named in this like Geo, all these guys are on teams that are in it. So I'd be surprised if they didn't appeal. And so you know that appeal process would, I'm guessing here, but I'm guessing it would take at least until later in the year. It might not even go into effect. The suspensions could end up not going into effect until next year. And I think that's especially true of Cologne. I mean, I think he's looking at 100 games um, with a second uh, offense here. So I'd be really surprised if he didn't appeal. Same for Melky. So those guys, I'm not looking to deal because, A, I'm not so sure they're going to go away as quickly as Braun did. And, B, because their value is obviously going to be significantly hampered because of the possibility of the suspension. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point with Ryan Braun's situation. Of course, he could have appealed if he was innocent, but obviously he knows he's not innocent. So <laughs> I don't think an appeal would have done him any good other than delay the suspension. And given his injury and the the, the fact that the Brewers aren't going anywhere, it, it's basically a decision, does he serve the suspension this year or next year? And it, it makes sense to just serve it this year. So, but what about A-Rod? I mean, right now the Yankees are... I guess they're not completely out of it. They they are above 500, and they are the Yankees who have the. I mean, they might actually be on the verge of acquiring Alfonso Soriano, so they are still somewhat in it. So I wonder what this does with Arod because I did read a mention that they had even more overwhelming evidence for Arod than they did with Braun. So you wonder what happens there. Yeah, that's a little bit of a trickier situation. Um, because they're still in it, because A-Rod's A-Rod, and I feel like he's got a little more, I don't know, uh, I don't, maybe pride's the right word in him, but I, I don't know that I'd expect him to go as quietly. Yeah, and you wonder, I, I would think that the Yankees would want an answer soon, because 
I would think they would be in, in the market for a third baseman. Right. And uh, I have no idea who's available. Uh, but, I mean, Mike Olt obviously was just traded to the Cubs, but I, I doubt the Yankees of all teams would have immediately promoted him and made him their starting third baseman because the Yankees don't normally do that with, with rookies when they're in the thick of a, a pennant race. And, of course, Alt was already traded, so he's off limits. I, yeah, I don't know who else in terms of third basemen are, are actually available that the Yankees could acquire. But the Yankees could buy anybody that they want. We've seen that before in the past. So it might not only be Soriano, but some other hitters as well. Is Aramis Ramirez going to be healthy anytime soon? Well, let's hope because I, I literally traded for him about a week before he went back on the deal. <laughs> I so, did too. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I'm crossing my fingers. It, it sounds like he shouldn't be back. Uh, he shouldn't be out too much longer. Uh, but you, you never know with his knee, considering it's been a problem for him all season long. Okay. All right, let's talk about that trade. Finally, the first big trade, unless you consider Ricky Nolasco a big trade. I don't. But the first <laughs> big trade has gone down. Matt Garza to the Rangers with the big pieces going to the Cubs was Mike Olt and Justin Grimm. So what does this do to Matt Garza's value? I uh, I wrote up something this morning, and so I thought that this actually hurts Garza's value. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I actually banged out a piece as quickly as I could yesterday when the news broke, and then when I was preparing for this podcast today, I read your piece, and <laughs> uh, there were obviously some similarities. Um, you know, you noted... The, the league change, the park change, and the team change. And, you know, obviously the league change isn't good for him. Uh, you basically noted that the DH, you know, is the reason for the disparity in the ERA and home run rate in the AL. But other factors like strikeouts, I mean, we're talking about, I'm just guessing here, but what difference of six or seven strikeouts the rest of the year, not a huge deal. But it doesn't help there. Um, the park is obviously worse. But at least he's going from a bad pitcher's park to a worse pitcher's park as opposed to you know a good one to a bad one. So maybe it's not a huge impact. But either way, these things are bad, and the team's obviously better, but you know maybe what's that worth, a, a win or two? So there's a lot of extra factors, but to me the main thing is just the fact that um, Garza hasn't been as good as you know those normal numbers look. He's got the low ERA. He sort of, it sort of looks like it's 2011 again for Garza except for the fact that his peripherals aren't as good as they were in 2011. So um, the trade doesn't help. But even before the trade, I think he was a guy to, you know, I don't know if you can deal him, which, you know, you also noted in your piece. But if you could, I might swap him for somebody else. You know, something I failed to look into, but I probably should have, considering we're just about two months left, a little more than two months left in the season, a commenter actually noted in my article uh, what Garza's remaining rest of season schedule is and it actually looks pretty good uh he faces the yankees the angels the athletics the astros the brewers the astros again the mariners and the twins that to me seems like a pretty darn good schedule for an american american league pitcher mm -hmm. and, and so obviously all of the factors that we named that are negative for garza still are there but his opponents don't seem as scary as you might think after moving to the American League. And so, yeah, that, that offsets things uh, a little bit in my mind. Yeah, agreed. 
So, so maybe Escarza owners shouldn't actually necessarily rush out to try to sell him high, and, and maybe he won't see that much of a, a significant change in value. Yeah, just I mean, I, I might trade him for a, a sort of an almost lateral move, but a guy that I felt was a little safer. But yeah, no, that, that's a good point. No need to absolutely deal him. All right, what about Mike Alt? I mean, he's now moving to Chicago. Uh, they're playing Luis Valbuena against righties. Uh, Luis Valbuena has given him them some, some surprising value with his uh, great walk rate and ability to get on base. But I mean, let's face reality: Luis Valbuena is obviously not their long-term future. So Mike Alt does seem to have the chance to be up at some point this season. Is he a guy who you think is going to have some value for? And all only leaguers or, or, or mixed leaguers, given his power potential? Um, not initially. I just think the average is going to be killer when he first comes up. He's, you know, never had good plate discipline. Basically, was striking out a quarter of the time at high and double A, and a third of the time at triple A in the big league level. So, um, I actually just looked it up. Pretty three true outcome type guy. About 49, 49% of his plate appearances in AAA this year have been one of the three, ended in one of the three true outcomes. So, But at first, you know, I'd expect the average to be so killer that the power isn't worth it. Yeah, I, I think he's definitely a guy to watch in an on-base percentage league with his mm-hmm. walk rates. Definitely in a batting average league. I mean, his steamer rest of season projections, which admittedly are probably not updated because of the deal – and it's only 60 at bats, so I, I don't know how much faith you can put in them. But they have him at batting 223, and that's not good, obviously. <laughs> but he does have power. He has a very good walk rate, so it's possible that he gets a chance later on in the season. He has battled vision problems, though, and, and that could be to blame for somewhat of his huge decrease in uh, contact percentage. I mean, like you said, he struck out. 33% of the time this year, which is a big jump from the 24% last year. So I don't know whether it's the vision problems or just the jump in competition, but obviously that's not a good sign, and, and that's kind of Adam Dunn-esque. I mean, he basically look like, looks like a, a poor man's Adam Dunn. Yeah. Total three true outcomes, like a, a Jack Cust. And uh, that's guy, a guy that could have some value in the right context. So he definitely is somebody to keep an eye on in OBP leagues, but I, I wouldn't touch him in a batting average league just because he has the real potential to absolutely destroy your batting average. Uh, what about Justin Grimm, who early in the season, he was actually pitching pretty well in Texas, and then it all fell apart. I mean, he had a 159 ERA in April, and then that was it. 505 in May, a 9 in June, and then an 1191 in July. Uh, at that pace, in August, he's going to post like a 15 ERA. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but but now he moves to the National League, and, and all the negatives that we named for Matt Garza, it, it, it's the opposite. It's a, it's now positive for Justin Grimm. Is he somebody that NL only leaguers should keep an eye on for if he does eventually get the call to uh, get a rotation spot? Yeah, and in an in, in NL only for sure. Um, he's not as bad as. You know, he's been the last few months, obviously, but um, he's not as good as he was early either. I mean, long term, I don't know, you know, how much see, how much upside he has because he doesn't have 
a huge strikeout arm, not a big swing and miss guy. So, you know, he's young. He still has room to improve. But as you mentioned, all the negatives we mentioned for uh, Garza are positives for Grimm. And if he's up, yeah, I mean, he's he's a top 60 guy in an NL-only league, so he's worth adding. Quite the compliment, indeed. <laughs> hey, that's all it takes to be, you know, fantasy worthy in a 10 10 team nl only yeah i mean this is the thing in nl only leagues uh, admittedly i i've only played in an only league like twice in my life but you're basically choosing between number five starters who are going to give you a 420 era with a mediocre strikeout rate or a middle reliever and in this case i probably would prefer to maintain decent ratios and, and and go with the middle reliever I mean, if, if you're really that desperate for strikeouts and, and potential wins and a guy who's going to give you a 420, 410, 430 ERA is somebody that you're okay with, then yes, Justin Grimm has that potential. But other than that, his minor league track record isn't exactly impressive. I mean, in 2012, only 51 innings, but his strikeout rate was only 5.3, which is not good. So I, I wouldn't really bother with him. I mean, he's pretty meh to me, even moving yeah. to the NL. I have the word meh written down to, next to him in my note. <laughs> <laughs> meh is such a perfect word. It really describes <laughs> situations quite well. Uh, yeah. All right, let's move along to some more exciting call-ups. Um, the Marlins love having their prospects skip AAA, apparently. Uh, Kristen Yellick is uh, finally being called up as well as Jake Marisnik. Let's talk about Yellick first. He's uh, a lefty, and my concern is that he's not going to hit against left-handers. He's going to be uh, a platoon guy. I don't know. I haven't read anything. I would assume that he's going to sit against lefties, and, and Ruggiano isn't going to completely lose his uh, his playing time, and he'll, again, face the left-handers. But Christian Yellick, pretty big-time prospect here. Is he worth a 12-team mixed-league pickup? 12-team. I'm going to say no. I mean, I just don't know. I mean, the at-bats, as you mentioned, are the thing. And if he's not going to play every day, he's not somebody I want to carry in a 12-teamer. So, no, I'd pass there. But I do like him a lot. I mean, over a full season, just right now, I think you could maybe expect 15 and 30. Average may be a problem at first. Keep saying that with all these young guys. But um, huge upside. Yeah, I kind of do like the long term here. But he strikes out too much. And my thing that's really big for prospects is if they miss AAA, that's a problem. I don't have a problem as much with pitchers jumping from AA or even single A. But when a hitter jumps from AA, I think that's a lot more problematic. And I I just don't know if Yellick is ready. He does have that nice power-speed combination. And, and he, he's shown a very good walk rate, which, again, is why in the long term I do like him. But given that strikeout rate in AA, I just don't know if Yellick is ready. And the fact that he has the potential to really kill a team's batting average, I'm just not ready to, to give him a shot in a, in a shallower league. What about uh, Jake Marisnik, though? Do you like him any better? He's a righty, so he probably isn't going to... He's probably going to play every day, whereas Yellick is going to potentially get benched against left-handers. But Marisnik, not so. But he also skipped AAA, which is why I also have my reservations here. But do you like him any better than Yellick? No, I like Yellick better. I mean, Yellick's got more speed. 
Um, I'd say the power, and he might even have more power too. And I see a similar problem with the strikeouts with Marisnik. Maybe not as high, but he also doesn't walk as much. So if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Yellick, even though I'm not sure about the playing time. Yeah, both of them. I mean, Marisnik also struck out a similar rate as Yellick, but he doesn't. His walk rate is like half that, so he's probably going to be toward the bottom of the batting order, and it just doesn't really give me enough confidence that Marisnik is going to be a, a real strong major league hitter to begin with. So Yellick is also younger, isn't he? Let me see. Yeah, he's a year younger. Yeah, so that's another point in his favor. So, I mean, Marisnik also, you know, he only played a double-A this year, 22 years old already. So, although that's not necessarily old for double-A, again, I, I really have concerns with guys skipping triple-A. And Marisnik, he doesn't, doesn't walk. And that's a problem. And that's going to hurt his stolen base potential if he's not on base. And he's going to probably be hitting in the bottom of the order, obviously, in a, a poor lineup in a pitcher's park. So, again... I wouldn't bother with Marisnik. You know, in an OBP league, I don't think Yellick is that bad of a gamble to take. And uh, I also would probably prefer Yellick over Marisnik. But both of these guys, they're probably going to be uh, picked up in, in all your leagues. Everybody loves taking a chance on the hot new rookie. But I don't think that these guys are going to really do anything. Marcel Azuna was uh, sent down, which is, I guess, a bit of a surprise. But you thought yeah. you, you thought that... He was also part of their future, but he's a guy also. He jumped straight from double A AA to triple A, although, uh, I'm sorry, from double A to the majors. But Azuna, unlike the uh, other two, uh, Marisnik and Yellick, Azuna only had 42 at bats in double A. So he barely had any double A playing uh, experience. Right. Um, and so he started off hot with an inflated BABIP, and then that all came crashing down. So, yeah. I'm not very optimistic about the two Marlins guys that are being called up, and I wouldn't really bother with them in uh, in shallow mixed leagues. Yeah, this isn't exactly a fantasy note, but does Ruggiano make sense for somebody as a out, fourth outfielder, somebody in contention? Heck yeah! Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm one of the biggest Ruggiano fans that me too there is, and I'm probably the only one that's left. No, no, I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, here's a guy who. Has a 232 BABIP. After every single year of his career, he's shown a highly inflated BABIP. He doesn't pop the ball up. He has a, a reasonable batted ball profile. And his strikeout rate isn't out of control. He's got good power and he's got speed. So, I mean, he's a prime rebound candidate. And, and he would be a stealthy acquisition as an everyday outfielder, I think, for a contending team. I keep thinking, I mean, I'm a Rangers fan. Does it make sense to maybe take a shot on him over David Murphy, who's also sort of a rebound candidate? But, I mean, I don't know if he plays left. But does that make any sense at all? Well, at the very least, Ruggiano can face lefties while Murphy takes a seat because he's left-handed. Right. So, yeah, I think that would make for a good acquisition or even give Ruggiano some DH time considering they don't really have a full-time DH now with Berkman Hurt. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I actually like that idea. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I like that idea. All right, let's move along to some injury news. And Jason Grilly suffering from a forearm injury yesterday. I don't think we've gotten an update yet just on what happened to him and how long he might be out for. But this usually is the precursor to Tommy John surgery. I mean, we hear this all the time where a 
pitcher has a forearm tightness and three days later he's under the knife and and I fear that for Grilly who I who's had arm trouble before I don't remember if he's had Tommy John in the past but I know he's missed time due to arm injuries and and so I wouldn't be surprised if this was a serious ailment and that he's out for the year you agree yeah I think that makes sense and uh, of course the obvious candidate to replace Grilly is Mark Melanson uh, and uh, he's shown pretty amazing skills this year, which is pretty funny because last year he posted a 6.20 ERA, and this year his ERA is sub one. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, I, it just just goes to show you how you know you can't overreact to small sample sizes with these guys. I mean, he had 22 percent home run per fly ball last year. But he had a three Sierra, essentially. So I think the Red Sox were crazy to trade him for Hanrahan. But. Yeah, so basically this is a pitcher who's always been good. And right. so, yeah, I mean, obviously right now his start seems a bit fluky and unsustainable. This is a, a good, solid relief pitcher. Do you think yeah. if he does close, you think he has the potential to be a top-ten closer the rest of the way, assuming Grilly is out for the year? I do. I, I think he's better than just a good relief pitcher. Uh, he's always been good, in my opinion, but he's been great this year. Uh, strikeout rate, swinging striker, both way up. Walk in, walk rate impl- improved last year, but it's, in, it's been even better this year. It's down to 3.4%, which is you know pretty awesome. And you know it, it looks like he's made a change to me. He's gone to a cutter more. Um, he's been throwing him. He threw it more last year, and even more this year, uh, at the expense of primarily his four seamer and to some degree his curve. I mean, he's thrown it 64% of the time, and it's easily been his best pitch according to pitch values. So I sort of buy the improved, you know, skills numbers because of the change in pitch mix. So I think he's a legit closer. Yeah, plus you have to remember, he's got a 61% ground ball rate, 55% over his career. So assuming he doesn't have the type of home run per fly ball poor luck that he had last year, he's not going to give up home runs. He's always possessed pretty good control, so he's not going to give up the free pass. So he's basically got every single thing that you want from a good pitcher. So I agree that he could be a top 10 closer the rest of the way. And the Pirates are a perfect team to close for because they don't have a great offense. They've had good pitching, and so they play a lot of close games, and they've given Grilly a ton of opportunities. And there's no reason to think that that won't continue. The pitching so, might decline a little bit. In yeah, I would say yeah. so with Jeff Locke. I don't think he's going to continue <laughs> to post a sub two-and-a-half ERA the rest of the year. Yeah. But, I mean, they still have de- – I, I don't think Jeff Locke is going to completely implode. I, I think he, he could potentially post a four ERA the rest of the year, which is reasonable. And they still have A.J. Burnett, Francisco Liriano. Uh, Wandy Rodriguez might eventually return at some point, and I'm probably missing somebody. Uh, Garrett Cole is, is going to be decent. So, yeah, so they have a, a pretty decent team for uh, save opportunities. Uh, let's move along to uh, a new shortstop in Houston. So uh, on Sunday, the team designated Ronnie Cedeno for assignment. They had given Marwin Gonzalez the boot in late June. He's back in the minors. So it's Jonathan Villar or VR. I'm not sure, which is silly because I was actually I actually had the Astros game on last night, and I know they pronounce his name, and I completely forget how they pronounce it. <laughs> I think it's Villar. But. All right, we'll go with Villar. That's fine. So he was already placed at the 
top of the lineup yesterday, which is obviously a good sign for owners and potential owners. How much value do you see here, and is he worth a pickup in 12-team mixed leagues? I feel like a broken record here, but you know he's got a little bit of power speed, more speed, and strikeouts have been a problem at the lower levels. He's still young. I think he's going to hurt your batting average when he gets called up. Um, his BABIP will be above average because he can move so well, but um, same same story. A little bit of counting counting uh, category help, but going to hurt your average. I, you know, I actually I, I agree there, and but I like him more as a pickup than Marisnik or Yellick, just because he has a clear tool in the speed. He already stole a base yesterday. He stole 31 bases at AAA this year in only 385 plate appearances. Yeah. Um, if he's hitting atop the lineup, he probably is not going to help your batting average. He strikes out too often. He's probably going to hit you 250 or so, but he will contribute in speed. Um, he even has a bit of pop, kind of Jose Altuve-like. Sure. And uh, so he also plays shortstop, which will give him extra positional value <clears throat> compared with the outfielders and Marisnik and uh, Yellick. So I do think he makes for a better pickup than them. Um, if he ha- <clears throat> if he does stay atop the lineup, that will be pretty good, even though he's not really cut out for that. Because if he bats 250, he's going to only have like a, a 320 on base percentage. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, another call-up in Chicago? <clears throat> Love this name, Junior Lake. Uh, he potentially qualifies all over the place. Uh, last year, he played more than 20 games at shortstop and third base in the minors. This year, with the Cubs, he's been playing outfield. So it's possible that he qualifies at three different positions in your league or will very shortly. And in deep leagues, that has loads of value when you can move players around like that. So Junior Lake, tell me what you think he is going to do for the rest of the season. And how do you compare him as a pickup to Villar and I guess also the Marlins uh, outfielders? Right. He he strikes me as more like, um, I I guess, Yellick. You know, the reasons you were a fan of Villar aren't exactly as favorable for Lake. I mean, he's got a good he's got good speed, but it's not, you know, 50 steel potential. Um, He doesn't seem to have as much pop. He also has the issues with strikeouts. Um, The positional flexibility could help, but I'm not sure if he actually has that or not. You know, he doesn't play shortstop, so he doesn't get the extra value there. So, I mean, you sold me a little bit on Villar there, but Lake doesn't seem to be as attractive to me, given those factors. Yeah, Lake is actually kind of similar to Villar, except that he doesn't walk as much. Which, yesterday he was in the leadoff hall, I don't know why. He definitely is ill-suited for the leadoff hall, because he doesn't walk, he strikes out a lot. So his on-base percentage is going to be worse than Villar's, and Villar's isn't going to be good to begin with. But he does have power, he does have speed. Uh, He did steal 38 bases, uh, I'm sorry, he stole 56 bases, uh, back in 2011. Oh, so, man, yeah. Yeah, I, he seemingly does have just as much speed as Villar. I mean, if you look at his Bill James speed scores, they have almost always been over 8 or over 9. So he looks like he has lots of speed potential. He's already attempted three steals in only 18 plate appearances, only successful once, but he's clearly looking to steal. So I have a hard time deciding between Lake and Villar. But I think I do like both of them more than Yellick and Marisnik just because I think their speed 
is there and and speed doesn't slump and and so as long as he's getting on base, I think he's gonna you know attempt to steal. So I do like them better than those two, and especially because Lake's positional eligibility uh, all around the diamond really boosts his value. I mean, not quantitatively boosts his value, but that positional flexibility in deep leagues is enormous, and it's not something you can really quantify. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Brett Talley, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.